Imagine, or maybe you're knowing it right now, sitting here together, <clears throat> breathing, seeking for nothing, and yet completely alive. pulsating along with everything and everyone. Nothing missing, not waiting for a better moment. Everything complete right here, right now. <clears throat> and the Buddha was a pragmatist, I think that's the right word, practical, he was practical. Someone's nodding, thank you, that's the right word. <laughs> I'm sometimes not sure of how English works, but... Um, and you know sometimes the teachings can feel a little daunting it's like sometimes we feel the task ahead of us so to speak it can look that way can't it Um, but he reminds us that what we seek for is found in this doorway right here and now in this fathom long body right here And with metta, with the boundless heart, with the capacity of the anukampa, the pulsating along with everything, knowing our place in that, it's not a grand esoteric plan, it's not a big thing. He says, quite frankly, it's just the best way of living in the world. It's the best way to live in the world. Why is it the best way to live in the world? because it's in harmony with the nature of things. Everything already is pulsating along with everything else. Everything already affects everything else. My one out breath actually affects everything else. I can't help but impact the world. We can't help but transmit what we are. We impact everything and the waves go through. And sometimes we're afraid of the impact we have in the world and we pull away, not sure if it's the right one or a good one or if it's going to hurt someone. Or or other times we're trying to make an impact in the world, right? And we try really hard. And the Buddha speaks about Again, so so brilliant, so clear. Speaks about the craving, you know, as as we know the craving, the cause of suffering. He says the craving for becoming. So in the metaphor or in the place I'm talking right now, for being becoming someone who makes a difference out there. And he said he also talks about the craving for non-becoming. It's like, oh my God, that was such hard work. Let me, cr- let me just back off from this life. It's a little bit too much to pulsate along with everything. <laughs> it fe- can feel that way. And when our mind gets involved with it. So can you see that? And I'm sure some of you know this teaching. But that's it. We'll, we'll seesaw. The teaching is of the middle way. The middle way 
in this case between the craving for becoming and the craving for non-becoming, for not taking our place, for wanting to fade away from this mysterious, marvelous, terrible, beautiful. (coughs) Not sure why it's here and how it got here. Life. So learning to tolerate, we've been doing this week, learning to tolerate the beautiful things. The, the things that we, where we're always looking for the problem, we've been learning how to tolerate that, which is beautiful and lovely and uplifting and seeing it, feeling it, including it in our radar more. Increasing our tolerance for handling the pain that arises as we take our seat. Increasing our tolerance for not knowing for the vulnerability of sitting at, or getting a taste of what it's like to not try and be a good meditator. Or, oh my God, I tried that. That was terrible. I'm going (laughs) to, give me a break. I'm backing out of here. That was, right? And we'll do that, won't we? Of course we'll do that. Right, the becoming, becoming a good meditator. That didn't work. So I wish to not become. I wish to, like, give it all up. And that takes a real care to handle. It's, ah, and we come back and we oscillate and we back and forth and we find the middle way. Oh, okay, here, right here. Gosh, there's, a, there's some other qualities here. There's some kindness here. There's some, hmm, well, some clarity here. There's a little, little radiance from time to time here. Hmm. Yeah, but I don't know what's going to happen next from here. Okay, so then I try and control and become. Or I go, that was too hard, I'm, I'm backing off there. And we start to see the whole thing. And uh, I'm just going to see if I can put this page mark in here. Hmm. And this is from the Buddha. This is very clarifying, I think. He says, And so, bhikkhus, so this holy life does not have gain and honor and renown for its benefit or the attainment of virtue. So it's not about being good either for its benefit, although we take virtuous practices. Or the attainment of concentration for its benefit or knowledge and vision for its benefits. So, so all those things we've been practicing here, virtue, concentration, um, knowledge and vision, no, that's not the point. So because this holy life does not have gain and honor for its benefit, or the attainment of virtue for its benefit, or the attainment of concentration or knowledge and vision, but it is this unshakable deliverance of heart that is the goal of this holy life its heart would, and its end, the sure heart's release. The unshakable deliverance of heart, the sure heart's release is the goal of this holy life, the heart would, the wood that's at the center, and its end. <clears throat> and from Ajahn Samedo, says, Nibbana, he says, the realization of the non-grasping state in which we experience kindness, compassion, joy, and equanimity. And then from the Buddha, in this way we must train ourselves. By liberation of the self through love, we will develop love, we will practice love, we will make it both a way and a basis, take our stand upon it, store it up and thoroughly set it going, get it going from the Samyutta Nikaya. So the place when we get a glimpse of taking the middle way here, taking the seat here for a second, and we sense there's something real about it, we sense the 
wholesomeness in it, we sense the kindness in it, we sense the empty space. All of these things, even I talked about signlessness the other day, these are some of the signs in a way. It's like we're kind of on, we're on track. We recognize these things that are beautiful. As we do, as we have more contact with the kindness, and Ruth pointed out last night, it tends to have the effect of of, um, melting us. That's what the sunshine does. You know, remember the Buddha as the solar friend, the friend who warms up and casts light upon the path. And that melting we can sometimes be ambivalent about, as Ruth talked about with her mum. It's like we don't always want to melt. Even though something in us longs to melt, it doesn't always feel like that's what we want in a moment. And one of the other hindrances to metta, then, as it comes, it is our part of our nature, it is our closer to who we are than all of our distortions. One of the things that can show up for us is the uh, aversion, right? The, uh, sometimes the real hatred of the metta. Has anybody experienced that at times? I did a a metta retreat, a long metta retreat once, and... um, you know, of course, in theory, I like meta, right? <laughs> like, yeah, I want meta. And I remember going into the Dharma Hall, and it was after a little while, and I would go, and it happened every time I walked into the sitting, because every sitting was meta, was relentless meta. <laughs> uh, that's what it feels like when you're trying too hard, doesn't it? It's like, oh, God. And partly for the trying hard and partly the threat of the real meta, it's a kind of a threat in a sense, to the, the, the hardened little shell of Catherine. Um, I would walk in the meditation hall. It took me a few days to realize on my way in, this uprising would come in me, right from the center of me going, I hate meta. <laughs> and it's like my mind would say, well, of course you don't hate meta because everyone loves meta and meta's good. And... But actually there was some in, sort of instinctual, um, and it can bring that up. That's well known in the tradition. You don't have to look for it. It's well known that as the love is in the field, that can come forth. That can come forth. Um, Mostly, not because it's the opposite, because it's not. Hate is never really the opposite of the love. The hate can be allowed to come forth in the field of love, and as we get more and more trust, the love is not overwhelmed by the hate. And I think that's often the fear. They, we see them in this binary way of love and hate, but actually that can be included, and that's that's deep. That's deep. The love and hate split in the human heart. It's pretty deep. One, some of, sometimes, and I've seen this, and maybe you have. Sometimes the hatred of the meta, and if you don't have hatred of meta. Fine, it's not everybody's piece of curriculum. You know, it's beautiful, it's lovely, but if it arises, I just want to put this on the map, can be because we don't trust it. We don't trust it. There's a kind of a, almost like a complaint of pain of, I can't trust this. As if to say, if we were to follow that thought, as if, Where was that when I needed it? Didn't hold me then? No, thank you. Right? We can have some of this pain of our history, of the human separate shell that may come forth. So I want to just highlight that. That can be held and clarified in love. And as we do, it can heal that splitting that is not just in our location. It's the splitting that we see in our world. Same thing. Same thing. We sit and do our work on the cushion. We start to release our heart. This is for the benefit of all beings. Put very simply again in a pragmatic way, the more I release my grip, the more I let myself include more of these seeds of the human heart that can arise the more I know, wow, yeah, wow. 
the less I have to project it out there, the less I have to make the other one bad or make myself bad. That duality is included and transcended to something much more profound. Um, I want to read, I don't think we read this this week, The Benefits of Metta. So I want to, so I just want to kind of give a bow to that piece because that's a deep piece and I, I might see if I can come back to it later. But just that, that that can be part of the work, very much so. This is from the Buddha. He talked about the benefits of metta, the benefits of this kindness. And again, as you hear the list, please don't compare yourself to the list. This is something we develop. <laughs> right? This is it's boundless, right? It's without it's without it's unbounded. There's always further it can go. It's always further it can go. He says, if you practice this repeatedly, etc., 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 you will sleep easily. You will wake easily. You will have pleasant dreams. People will love you. Celestial beings and animals will love you. <laughs> Celestial beings will protect you. Poisons, weapons, and fires will not harm you. Your face will be radiant. Your mind will be serene. You will die unconfused. So we come and we take the seat, sincerely take the seat. We work and handle the obstacles, and we've looked at that. Again, as I was practicing on that long meta retreat, I mean, looking back, I think when we look back on our practice, we can see the trajectory for ourselves a little bit more clearly, but I look back at the time, and my heart was not a place I inhabited. Actually, I was doing my best (coughs) to cultivate metta, I don't think it bore fruit. I think I was planting seeds the whole time. I think the fruits... I'm still still waiting for the fruit. I I think the fruit... You know, they come in. There's some fruits. There's some fruits. It it works. Right? There are some fruits. Um, But but my heart... I didn't know it at the time. I didn't know it was vacant. And not vacant in the sense of sometimes I think the Buddha's heart can be an empty space doesn't have to have affect or emotion or it can sometimes be a big, big old empty space in there, right, for things to move in and out. Not that kind of vacant. But a vacant of not knowing how to inhabit this territory. It's like, I think I, well, first it takes a while to get from out there back into here. If, if some of us have left our bodies, right, it takes a while to get back in and to come down and to come down. And I didn't know that, but I, what I did see was the affect of loneliness, the feeling of loneliness, which we can feel on retreat, can't we? Well, in life, but on retreat, even though there's lots of people around sometimes, we might long to make contact, we might long for someone just to notice us, we might long for at least someone to write me a note, everyone else got a note on the board, Catherine and Ruth get loads of notes, Bob's got a hundred notes, no one's written a note for me, and it's like we want to be, we want to connect. And I, you know, you'll see all the ways the loneliness may show up for you sometime. Oh, I remember one, one woman um, who used to sit here every summer for a month, and her partner did too. Um, and uh, she told the story at the end of, in those days, at the old guy house over there, there was a month-long retreat in June, and she and her partner sat the whole month. And um, she reported at the end... That the that affect of loneliness, she 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 said, uh, well, you need a little bit more information. That year in June, it rained every single day, <laughs> which meant when we didn't have a tumble dryer, which meant the laundry stayed on the line quite a long time. <laughs> Because okay, well, I, I was like the household. I can't remember if I was supposed to bring it anyway. Whatever, there was things left on the line for a long time, and she reported at the end. Um, and with that tenderness and the kind of humour when we see ourselves, but the real tender place, lonely place it comes from. She said she used to find herself wandering to the washing line and just hanging around. 
And um, she didn't know what she was doing. You know, have you ever found yourself wandering around Guy House not knowing what you're doing? <laughs> so she didn't know what she was doing. And she, it took her a few days because the things were still there. And what she said was she was standing by the washing line next to her husband's trousers. <laughs> that wasn't her husband. Was his trousers? <laughs> it, it wasn't even his trousers. It's like some bits of soggy denim hanging on. <laughs> right? But you know what it's like. You know, we can see the funny. We can see the humour, can't we? Because we we're not so different. But it's such a tender spot, isn't it? Such a tender place. That place is where um, we can start to inhabit the heart and feel the loneliness, actually. We feel the loneliness more. When we're not inhabiting the heart, we'll go out and hang around trousers for a, for a, little, a little bit, right? Do you have your own version of that? What you do? Right, look on the internet again, hoping to... Again. <laughs> Just check Facebook again hoping for some kind of connection, hoping for some kind of soothing of the loneliness or the, yeah, the hunger in the heart. And as we start to inhabit more of that space, and we may feel the loneliness, actually, that's painful. Um, I just want to say a little bit about that, because it's on the way, very often, to real intimacy. When we're lonely, we often... The image that will come in the mind is the other person or the other creature that could fill that. But we know that it can't actually be that because we can be with other people and still feel lonely, right? It's a... Let's see what I want to say. It's not about the relationship, it's about the quality of the relationship that we're seeking, right? It's about the quality of touching that spot, of being with that spot. The hearts are longing for the connection, the mind thinks it will be the other thing person, animal, food. And what is it that our hearts are actually longing for when we feel lonely? What is it we're actually longing for? Sense of connection. Sometimes at the old guy house, there was this little hatch between where the yogis were served and where the staff was sitting around their table. And sometimes I'd find myself hanging around that hatch because I could hear them through the door. Just that, the sound of voices and company, like, you know, just keep me company, please. It's a little hard being here on my own. <clears throat> the longing for connection can't happen unless we connect with that longing for the connection. The connection can't happen unless I contact my longing for the connection to let ourselves have the loneliness, to really have it, to um, let that be the doorway. That will bring us into connection with ourselves, tolerating, sensing that longing heart that's underneath it. I start to inhabit those spaces that have never been met, that have never connected, that long still for the beloved in whatever form the beloved, we can find it. What seems to perpetuate the gap? The gap between longing and the beloved, the loving and the, and the wanting that beloved, is trying to fill the gap. We, all, we know that, don't we? We know that in our head, but the different ways I filled the gap. So it didn't do it, putting my ear to the little hatch. <laughs> it kind of warmed me for a moment, but it doesn't finish the job. It doesn't, it doesn't touch the parts, in a way. Because what we're really seeking is is not just on this horizontal level of being here together. Ultimately, when we're seeking relationships, I would say, and you can disagree if you like, that it's not the relationship 
that we're wanting. It's the intimacy. It's the intimacy. Something about the heart being so intimate, which we can sometimes touch with another, and very often not. Right? It depends as we as we go along our path, that may change. But the intimacy is what we seek. <clears throat> and guess what? Aloneness is the doorway to intimacy. And this isn't try so if you watch if the mind wants to make a binary split here saying, Oh, well, that means it's not about relationship. No, it doesn't mean that it's not about relationship. It means it's primarily about this relationship. Remember the bell hooks quote? Maybe you can help me out. I'm doing all this walking. What did she say? Do you remember? We, I think we said it twice. That's right, and she said it... It was on the board. I'm sure you read it a hundred times. <laughs> In those lonely moments. Yes. That's right. Solitude. We'll have to put it back up and look at it again. But that's the gist. I mean, she says it really beautifully. Do you know what it is, Chris? Yeah, it's, you know, I don't remember anything unless it's on my little text. <laughs> um, it's about being the art of um, something about so learning how to deal with solitudes uh, in order to not use others, other people. Um, as, a, as an out or something. Right. <laughs> we do, we're getting it between us, aren't we? All of all the pieces. It's great. When we, all, the, all the intelligence is here and all these little pieces right here. Right here. Yeah. So it's not about not the relationship because I think that can also be a confusion as well. Okay, well, it's not about trying to be together. Yes, we are here together. This is very significant. But something about this intimacy with this heart, this is the territory of our aloneness. The inner journey for the heart, moving past the separation, being completely naked with our own consciousness, being completely naked with my own consciousness. Have you felt that sometimes this week? It's like, ooh, we're kind of undressing with ourselves actually, in this location, with these arms, with this embrace. Naked with our own consciousness, I like this, denuded, when we are naked with our own consciousness, that means, I mean, it can sound very grand like that, it means we're right here, intimate, with the clear seeing, with what it is we're in touch with. In that moment, there are no self-images, we are denuded of self-images, of images of myself and images of the other. There's such an intimacy. There's such an intimacy there. The idea of self and other drops away. The intimacy is the heart of the heart, really the heart of the heart. And you probably have touched this this week or may know it very well. In that moment, which can only be in this moment, we're not lonely. In that moment, we're not lonely. The intimacy that we've been seeking all along is right there. Oh, gosh, that's it. That's our aloneness. That's our aloneness, which we can come into relationship with. Intimate with myself is the moment when the image of self and other drops away. So then I can be with another, and they're not this other that's going to do something or not do something or have to fulfill me and not get it right because they never get it right, the other one, do they? They never perfectly get it right. Because that's not the point. So something about this intimacy with my own heart. Where every atom of the heart is in touch with itself. With itself. And that's sometimes via the painful states, because that's sometimes what shows up. It doesn't mean intimacy is all like roses. Sometimes what we're intimate with, as we've been exploring, isn't always easy, because those things are allowed to come forth now, because finally I'm intimate here with myself. Every cell of the heart is intimate with itself. No separation, no pulling back, no becoming Intimate, you know when you try and get intimate? Really try hard? 
so hard, isn't it? So painful. We try and get intimate with, even when I try and get intimate with my cat, she she sniffs it a mile off and runs away. <laughs> you know, when it's coming from that place, I, I lean forward to try and get intimate. <laughs> off she goes. But I can meet her when there's an intimacy with myself. She's a little more likely to hang around. She doesn't buy it when I'm stroking her from um, my loneliness. <coughs> Unless I'm in touch with my loneliness, then she stays. Then she stays. But if I'm not acknowledging that, she goes. <laughs> she goes. So it's the distance from our heart that is the disconnect. The distance that makes us feel isolated and lonely. lovely piece, I think I actually know it off by heart, even though it's not here, from Raymond Carver, who, um, I think he was a poet, author, not sure, but uh, he, w- he was making diary entries as he was approaching his end of his life. He had a terminal diagnosis. And the last entry in his diary says, and did you get what you wanted from this life? Even so, I did. And what did you want? To call myself beloved, to feel myself beloved on this earth. And did you get what you wanted from this life? Even so, even so, despite all of this, I did. And what did you want? To call myself beloved, to feel myself beloved on the earth. Zen Master Dogen is renowned for saying, to to study the Buddha way is to study the self. To study the self is to release the self. To release the self is to become intimate with all things. As he goes on then, to become intimate with all things is to let body and mind drop away. Ah. (laughs) Intimate with all things. We might long for intimacy, but when we feel denuded, and maybe you have this week, denuded of images of ourselves, we also could be a little ambivalent about the intimacy. It's a little... It can feel a little dangerous. Unknown, actually. Unknown. To become intimate with all things, even the closing of our heart, so not even making the opening some kind of um, destination, actually. This is from Rumi. He says, your hand opens and closes and opens and closes. If it were always a fist or always stretched open, you would be paralyzed. Your deepest presence is in every small contracting and expanding. The the two as beautifully balanced and coordinated as bird wings. Your deepest presence is in every small contracting and expanding. Imagine that kind of respect for your own heart. Imagine that kind of respect. That we don't make it wrong when it's contracting and we don't make it some destination place when it's expanding. And, and the Buddha, in the third foundation of mindfulness, again, Mr. Practical, know the expanded mind as the expanded mind and know the contracted mind as the contracted mind. Know the refuge is in the knowing and the seeing. As we become, as we um, learn how to trust 
meeting these contractions and expansions with reverence and kindness. And we're not just in the story of them. We get more kind, not because we're trying to get more kind, but because we know what kind we are. The extension of our kindred, who is my kindred? Who and what are my kin? Widens, because they're all in here in the end. (laughs) Have you noticed the expansion, the contraction, the lovely happy one, the miserable one, the desperate one, the awake one, the completely loving one, the sweet one, the rageful one, the hateful one, the spacious one, the one who thinks she's arrived, the one who thinks she hasn't even started. They're all there. They're all there. And as they're touched and kissed, like in Ruth's talk last night, as each one is kissed, the extension of our belonging widens. Widens because because we know we're the same kind. We're the same kind. The smaller a piece of the puzzle I, I think is me, that's the limit of my kindness. The day that I'm identifying with my issue as just my issue, that is the limit of my kindness. I don't see that it belongs in the big picture. I remember... Um, I think I kind of got that idea about kindness. I was, you know, because we're all of those kinds. We're the sensitive kind, we're the breathing kind, we're the kind that is sensate, the kind that wants to be loved, the kind that doesn't want to suffer, the kind that wonders, you know, what's going on. We're all of it, we're all of it. And this came to me, and I thank a friend, a Dharma brother, um, for, for a long time as a, little pale girl with freckles. I didn't like having freckles. You know how the kids can be so horrible in the playground about anything, actually. (laughs) But in this case, about freckles, it was a little different. And so I was always a little bit kind of pulled in around my freckles until I was was living in a Dharma center in Massachusetts about 20 years ago. And we went to the lake to swim at lunchtime and the staff and this <coughs> Dharma brother, lovely man, was sitting on a rock next to me and we'd been in the water and we came out and he was um, a wildlife type of person, you know, he worked with falcons and saving this and all this stuff and he looked at me and he goes, oh, you're a spotted kind of creature. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, oh, yeah, like, yeah, like, like leopards or, you know, whatever. It's like, oh, I'm a spotted kind of creature. Wow. And something in that day, something kind of warmed up. It's like, oh, yeah, that's the kind I am. <laughs> it's one of the kinds I am. I'm many kinds, right? Oh, I'm a spotted kind of creature. That's my kind. And more kinds get included, more and more kinds, physical level, emotional level, spiritual level, mental level, they're all in there. They're all in there. I read, you know, it makes it sound easy. Well, I don't know if it makes it sound easy, the way I'm saying it, but I want to read you from one of our elders, uh, Thich Nhat Hanh, the Vietnamese Bodhisattva. Please call me by my true names. Don't say that I will depart tomorrow. Even today I am still arriving. Look deeply. Every second I am arriving to be a bud on a spring branch, to be a tiny bird with still fragile wings, learning to sing in my new nest, to be a caterpillar in the heart of a flower, to be a jewel hiding itself in a stone. I still arrive in order to laugh and to cry, to fear and to hope. The rhythm of my heart is the birth and death of all that is alive. 
I am a mayfly metamorphosing on the surface of the river. And I am the bird that swoops down to swallow the mayfly. I am frog swimming happily in the clear water of a pond and I am the grass snake that silently feeds itself on the frog. I am the child in Uganda, all skin and bones, my leg as, as thin as bamboo sticks. And I am the arms merchant selling deadly weapons to Uganda. I am the 12-year-old girl, refugee, on a small boat who throws herself into the ocean after being raped by a sea pirate. And I am the pirate, my heart not yet capable of seeing and loving. I am a member of the Politburo with plenty of power in my hands, and I am the man who has to pay his debt of blood to my people, dying slowly in a forced labor camp. My joy is like spring, so warm, it makes flowers bloom all over the earth. My pain is like a river of tears, so vast it fills the four oceans. Please call me by my true names, so I can hear all my cries and laughter at once, so I can see that my joy, joy and pain are one. Please call me by my true names, so that I can wake up, and the door of my heart could be left open, the door of compassion. Enlarging our belonging, the longing that longs for the intimacy. Sometimes we long for the intimacy just to make all the pain go away. But longing for the intimacy is a deep path that brings us into contact with more and more of the truth, of the totality, actually. The totality that shows up on my cushion the totality that we may see around us. It's all there. Check it out. It's all there. So enlarging our belonging, knowing what kind we are, what kind do we more easily resonate, resonate with? Who are the kind? What kinds of things in us? What kinds of emotions are we more likely to include? What kinds of creatures are we more likely to say, yeah, that's my kind. I feel for that kind, but not that kind. Yet, I'll get there. And I was very inspired uh, by a story I heard last year of uh, a guy from the USA who, back in the 70s, he was down in the Bay Area, back early 70s, I think, and witnessed an uh, oil spill, big, big oil spill in the <coughs> Bay, coming into the Bay, which there was a lot of damage to birds and wildlife and probably the water system and other things, but he could see where he resonated first was with the creatures. Um, I don't know about first, he may have resonated with many things, but in this story, that's, that got him, right? That place where, wow, that, that oil, there's a relationship, that oil and these birds. And not making anyone wrong or bad, he, in that moment, took a vow. He's like, okay, yeah, oil. And he vowed not to use motorized transport, I think for, I don't know if he took the vow for a day or a week or whatever. And he's a really, really lovely guy. I check him out. I might, I'll put a picture up of him tomorrow, but he's a radiant being from this practice. I don't know if he started that way, but I think he, got, he learned a lot. So he took this vow to not use motorized transport. That was true for him. That's true. That was what was true. His true response. His heart was freed up in that way. And... Um, He's now known as Planet Walker. I don't think he's walked over the whole planet, just uh, in North America, but he's called Planet Walker. And he walked around for 22 years on his feet. And not only that, 
if, I can't remember what point, you can check him out, but at some point he decided that he was walking around but speaking about it and all that was just getting him into such a mess <laughs> that he took a vow of silence, right? So he thought a week was bad. He took a vow of silence. And uh, again, it didn't sound like it was being down on himself. He just thought, hmm, I might have something to learn by being quiet for a bit. All right, took a vow of silence turned out he was silent for 17 years of those 22, walking around North America. He got three environment degrees, a two degrees and a master's, in silence. God knows how he did that. Um, and he is planet walker. And what is remarkable, so he's come in with all of his knowledge of whatever is his whole truth. But in that case, it was this resonance with this disaster that touched him. His teaching now, when you hear his teaching, there's a lot to it, but one of the key pieces you know, is coming through the environment door, which, environment, it's, it's, it's all environment, it's everything. This is an environment. This. And his teaching now is, we are the environment. We are the environment, and how we treat each other that's the environment. He completely understands the link of this relational world of how we treat each other, that that is the, has a direct correlation on what happens. I mean, each other is the animals and the people, right? But it has a direct correlation on what happens. So when, like in the Bell Hooks quote, I'm using the other for escape, thank you, as a means of escape. You know, we use the other for escape or we use the other to get something or feed us in some way, in some emotional way. That's part of the same environment. When I'm greedy with my other, beloved other, I'm part of the same causes and conditions in this environment that we share. It's humbling, isn't it? It's really humbling. Sometimes it's a little hard to tolerate. It's like, ooh, yeah, I am in this. Yeah, you are in this. But we're all in it together. <laughs> we're all in it together. It doesn't work any other way. It never did work any other way. We're all in it together, and I think he really gets this. There isn't the environment crisis or the people crisis. There is this heart that's longing to awaken together, together, to see what is our true response. His true response looked like that, and he said, like, I think he said something like, after 20, after 17 years of silence, I think he realized it was just a bit of a self-image at that point. And he, <laughs> it wasn't in the beginning, right? You know, we start those things, and actually the truth had changed. And his role then was actually to start to share. He'd clarified a little bit, I could imagine. <laughs> Can you imagine being silent that long? What a heart that would take. He'd probably clarified some of his speaking abilities, I should think. And after 22 years of not motorized, that wasn't true for him anymore either. Right? So it's not making something the absolute marker of who should be who and who should be what. He was responding to his intimate connection externally and internally. That was his response. And it changed. He taught and now he travels and does what he needs to do right? with his banjo. So there's the relationship with what we do on the cushion has a direct bearing on it all. We can't help it. We impact everything. Everything we do impacts everything else. I think science knows that, can measure it, can see it. I, I don't, I'm not an expert in that, but you can, you can feel it. I think one of my teachers, he says when he was a monk in Thailand, um, that one of his teachers would sometimes come into the Dharma talk and um, just make a gesture like with his hand. I can't remember, something like this. Not say anything. Somebody's nodding at the back, Skelet, yeah. You, you remember that story? Yeah, it's from Christopher. Our 
one of our founding teachers here at Gaia House. And it was his teacher, Damodara, wasn't it? Yeah. So Damodara would sit there with this gesture, and the gist of it, as I understood it, I haven't heard him say it for many years, but the gist was, look, that invariably affects everything else. And when you hear that, what do you do? Do you go, oh shit? Do you pull back, like, okay, I'm going for non-becoming, thank you very much, I don't, <laughs> I'm not sure about God, if that's going to hurt someone, or if it's going to upset someone, or if I'm not going to, right? No, yeah, you can try that, we've all probably tried that. Or, okay, that affects everything, right, I'm going to, you know, <laughs> on my little horse, I'll go and, right? It, but it does, and we feel that here. I think when I'm crusading, or when I'm hiding, I don't feel that. Our response arises here. And it's not scripted. It's not scripted, but we can hear it. We can listen to it. See what's true. One, somebody asked the Zen master, what was the Buddha, Buddha do, doing during her lifetime? This is the marvelous Zenness of it. What was the Buddha doing during her lifetime? And the Zen master replied, an appropriate response. Full stop. Isn't they? They're so great, aren't they? Those. <laughs> they're so great. <laughs> I think someone asked me, "What did Buddha doing during her lifetime?" Well, you know, there was this. That's another way of answering it. All the beautiful teachings, because there was a lot. There was a lot that are still rolling. It's the compassion of that still rolling, such was its brightness, still rolling. An appropriate response, how... But I would, I, would, I would dare to say that the Buddha's appropriate response came from hanging out in that seat that wasn't scripted, that was vulnerable, that was unwritten, that was uncertain, that was... He didn't know he was going to invent the Dharma. It was just a guy who woke up. Bright one. Lots of qualities. But something started to move. There were ears that wanted to listen. There was something to say. It arose dependently. It dependently arose with people who want to wake up. Our response arises the more intimate we are with ourselves and with each other. Our response our response, whatever it is. And sometimes our response is to be silent for 17 years. Sometimes our response is to go and retreat for a week. Sometimes it's to get out there and do something that we've never done before. Sometimes it's to come in here and do something we've never done before. Meet ourselves in different ways. And of course that appropriate response now doesn't have to be another thing I'm supposed to do to be right and righteous and good and No, no, keep taking this seat, this intimate seat with this heart. It's our adult as one poet calls it, I'll read that in a minute, he calls that our adult aloneness where there's intimacy with all things. That's where life's intelligence comes from. So I'll read this poem. So just have a breath. Let's see where you are. And if your mind is going, oh my goodness me, all of that, I only came here for a bit of peace and quiet. (laughs) That's what I came to Guy House for. What's all this? It's the whole damn world here. Yes. (laughs) yeah and when we see when I you know when my mind picks that up it's like oh my god the whole world oh dear what am I going to do about that right and then it becomes another thing that I'm going to have to launch into and do something about and then I'll get exhausted and 
even just thinking about it, I get exhausted. Or I'll just, you know, can you just <laughs> give me three episodes of, what was it recently? One of these things now, you terribly now, you can just watch episode after episode. You don't even have to wait till next Wednesday anymore on iPlayer. You can just get kind of hung over on the whole series all in one evening, you know, when we're hungry. When we're hungry, when I desire not to become because... <sighs> not making either of those wrong, but feeling the call back, the call back. It, we keep being called back. The beloved calls us back. The beloved of our own heart calls us back. As that, in that Leonard Cohen song, the heart below is teaching to the broken heart above. Keeps calling us back. Come and see. There's the Buddha. Come and see. Right there's the the big heart. There. Come come see. Come see. It's all right. You can hang out here. It's all right. It's really all right. Just one moment at a time. Yeah. One breath. One contact at a time. It's all right. And it's not because that will make us righteous or good. It's because we have a homing instinct. I heard this trans, uh, little translation of the word philosophy. It's called the, uh, as homesickness. Homesickness, that longing for home. Longing for home, that's what calls us back. And that's where everything we seek, we will find it there. We will find it here. Again, back to the Buddha, here, timeless inviting investigation to be known for oneself. And this is the house of belonging. This is the house of belonging. All that loneliness is resolved right here where we find everybody else. This is from David White, the house of belonging. And maybe breathe with your shoulders because there's a lot right there and I put a lot out Well, I've put a lot out. There is a lot out. I mean, there's a lot here, isn't it? We're a lot. The more we see what's here. Just breathe with your shoulders. And it's not something you have to do about that right now. Not seizing ourselves to get there. Because we've all seen that doesn't work either. If I seize myself to get there. But we can come to the house of belonging. Are you ready? The house of belonging. I awoke this morning in the gold light, turning this way and that, thinking for a moment it was a day like any other. But the veil had gone from my clouded, darkened heart. And I thought, it must have been the quiet candlelight that filled my room. It must have been the first easy rhythm with which I breathed myself to sleep. It must have been the prayer, I said, speaking to the otherness of the night. And I thought, this is a good day. You could meet your love. This is the painful day someone close to you could die. This is the day you realize how easily the thread is broken between this world and the next. And I found myself sitting up in the quiet pathway of light. The tawny, close-grained cedar burning around me like fire. And all the angels of this housely heaven ascending through the first roof of light the sun has made. This is the bright home in which I live. This is where I ask my friends to come. This is where I want to love all the things it has taken me so long to learn to love. This is the temple of my adult aloneness. And I belong to that aloneness as I belong to my life. There is no house like the house of belonging. So let's sit for a minute together.
This is the bright home in which I live. This is where I ask my friends to come. This is where I want to love all the things it has taken me so long to learn to love. This is the temple of my adult aloneness. And I belong to that aloneness as I belong to my life. There is no house like the house of belonging. Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.